Hello, and welcome to the Rules of the Game podcast, where it is my job to discuss democratic institutions. In this episode, I discuss the state of some of the democratic institutions of Zimbabwe, together with my guest, MacDonald Levanika. Political institutions and power have been changing since Robert Mugabe took power as a liberator from colonial oppression in the year 1980. The image of the liberator Mugabe speaking to the public in 1987 is also one of McDonald's early childhood memories of politics. While the electoral institutions were more proportional and inclusive in the beginning, the dominant ruling party, PF changed the rules of the game over time to tighten the grip on power. MacDonald explains why and where political power is concentrated in today's Zimbabwe, and how PF was able to consolidate political power at the expense of the opposing political parties and the citizens of Zimbabwe. Dr. MacDonald Lebanika is a politics and development researcher with over 17 years of experience as a human rights defender, democracy and governance practitioner and civil society leader in Zimbabwe and Southern Africa. He received a bachelor's degree from the University of South Africa and a master's degree in international development from the University of Manchester and an MRes in political science from the London School of Economics and Political Science. He then continued his research career at the London School of Economics, where he received a PhD in political science. He is now chief of party at the Accountability Lab. You can find more information about MacDonald Levanika's work on his website mlevanika.academia.edu. You also find him on LinkedIn and Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Makil, that's M-A-K-I-L. I am your host, Stefan Kybertz, and this is the fourth episode in my new podcast, The Rules of the Game where it is my job to discuss, analyze and compare democratic institutions from around the world. I am a political economist with a PhD in economics from the University of Bern in Switzerland and I previously held positions at the London School of Economics and Political Science and the Center for Global Development. I believe that a public discussion of democratic institutions is important and that people should take part in that discussion. I have decided to dedicate my time to contribute to that debate with my knowledge and my perspective. I strongly believe in the wisdom of the people and the power of knowledge. People should be more aware of the political institutions that govern their lives. Please subscribe to this podcast on any podcast platform and you'll always get the latest episode. You can find me on Twitter at Skybirds and you can find show notes with links to all material discussed on my website rulesofthegame.blog. And two more minor remarks about this episode. I was a bit nervous in the beginning because I wasn't totally sure whether everything was fine with the recording. 
since it was a long distance recording. And there is at some points a bit of a humming in the background due to a ventilator, but hopefully you will still be able to enjoy our debate. So having said that, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with McDonald Levanica. All right, McDonald Levanica, welcome to the Rules of the Games uh, podcast. I'm I'm very happy to welcome you, and uh, very much looking forward to our discussion. Uh, thank you for having me, Stefan. So before um, starting with the discussion on on the institutional setup in in Zimbabwe, I'd like to kind of start with a few personal questions, just to to give people an idea you know, of, of your work, of your political work, and also kind of how you start engaging in, 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 uh, in politics. So what is your first memory of democracy or of politics in, in general? Yeah, no, th thanks a lot for that question, uh, Stefan. I, I don't think that I can be able to adequately answer uh, uh, about my first memory of democracy because... Zimbabwe has been replete and full of democratic deficits for as long as I can remember. But I do have uh, memories of politics in general. I have memories, my, my, my first memory of, um, yeah, of some semblance of freedom or what we thought was, um, well, 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 was freedom at that particular point in time uh, would be something that, um, that, that, that dates back to the time when I was seven and doing my grade one. I just started my primary school and... Uh, Uh, and, and this was in 1987, which was also an interesting year politically. Um, all sorts of interesting things were happening on the, on, on the political stage. Not that I was aware of it at that particular point in time, but we were led by this maverick uh, called Robert Mugabe. And uh, one of my earliest uh, memories uh, was to see this uh, maverick who at that particular point in time uh, uh, was the personification of freedom itself. Um, yeah, so the personification of, um, of, of of freedom itself and just seeing him even from a distance, uh, seeing him uh, articulating on television and stuff. I think that, you know, so it's, it's, it's not a distinct singular uh, memory, but it's a set of memories that date back to that uh, very, 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 very young age. An eloquent prime minister who was a freedom fighter and who had delivered uh, freedom. Uh, so if I had to trace back my memories of politics, they invariably they trace back to memories of, um, of Robert Mugabe, the, the maverick uh, freedom fighter at that particular point in time, the men who had uh, unyoked us from British colonialism and uh, foreign domination. Okay, that sounds very, uh, very interesting and impressive as, as well. And, and, and then how, how did that develop? Or how, when start, did you start like, you know, engaging in politics yourself? Yeah, so the the, 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 the the interesting thing is that even though my first uh, political memories uh, are of Robert Mugabe, my own entry into the political terrain was to fight Robert Mugabe. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and this was um, basically at the, at, at, at the age of uh, 18. I just finished my A-levels. Um, and, and, and a new political party was... Uh, Uh, on the verge of being formed in Zimbabwe. And um, I, I, I was a young person, but I was a young person who was uh, fairly uh, eloquent, who uh, it demonstrated quite a bit of promise in terms of just my own intellectual uh, abilities. And when, when people came knocking and mobilizing 
uh, for formation of this uh, new political party, the Movement for Democratic Change. I found myself in a situation where I then got elected as the first uh, youth chairperson of a district called Mfakose uh, at that particular uh, point in time. So, 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 definitively in terms of the political terrain, that's how I entered uh, how I entered the space. Um, but I try to differentiate that with uh, my entry into into activism, so to speak. But that's a story that I mean we, we can be able to to to, to pick up on as, as as we go. But my my entry into activism is a bit earlier. So two years earlier, when I was at high school, uh, a friend I was at boarding school, and a friend of ours um, got expelled uh, for, for 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 no uh, uh, solid reason. After he got expelled, he went home. His parents were mad, and as a result, he then committed suicide. My first act of activism uh, was to protest uh, that suicide and the expulsion um, uh, at, 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 at our school. So I mobilized other uh, students, uh, and we demonstrated, marched to this guy's farm for the funeral, and then marched back and came and uh, demonstrated at the school. Eventually, I got expelled uh, for, for those things. But uh, in terms of my entry into activism uh, outside the, the main political realm, that is where I'll trace, uh, trace it back to. It was an entry uh, on the strength of um, a, a, a strong sense of uh, an injustice that had occurred, uh, which we felt needed to be protested. Uh, unfortunately, it could not be corrected. Okay, I see. And uh, yeah, sorry, sorry to hear for, you know, that sounds like a very emotional, emotional journey as well. And uh, thanks for, for sharing for sharing that story, um, I think probably that would uh, would itself be uh, you know worthwhile having a discussion over. But I think for now we just move on to kind of jumping forward in time to um, you know today what what uh, Zimbabwe what what the political landscape looks like today, and especially uh, I want to focus on on the institutions that you know are responsible for who has the power and how power is shared or not shared and and what the role of the of the different uh, institutions are so i think um i kind of want to talk uh, at the, about the different parts of of government so uh, on one side there is the the executive government the presidency and then we have you know the the house of assembly and and the senate and they all have like different roles and they have different um uh different power um sharing agreements essentially or or the institutions um build up that um that power of of the different branches of government so what is your impression now in in zimbabwe where where does power lie and and how did it change like in the last few years and also um since um since Manangakwa took over um the Sanu PF did anything change in the last uh like 3 4 5 years yeah no thanks uh, thanks a lot for for that question Stefan and it's a, it's a, it's an it's it's both an interesting and a difficult question to answer uh, where where Zimbabwe is concerned, uh, was fundamentally your question is where does power lie, um, and if we are to look at it in terms of the institutions that we are interested in as part of the rules of the game podcast, um, 
uh, the, 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 the parliament uh, executive and stuff. The, the easy answer would be that power lies um, in the executive and it lies in an executive presidency. Um, but, 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 but that's the easy answer to give um, uh, where, where Zimbabwe is concerned. Uh, just recently, uh, there, there is a, a, a major report that, um, that, that was released um, which, which outlines how our, our state and how our political elites are basically operating at the mercy of uh, cartels. So, and, and these are cartels that, um, that, that, that are made up of people uh, from the military establishment, people who are from the business establishment, and people who wield political power. So you, you, you actually have a, a combination uh, or an alliance uh, between uh, military, business, and political elites. Uh, and, 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 and if you want, if you do a proper analysis of where power lies in Zimbabwe, you realize that it doesn't lie uh, in government or the executive uh, branch uh, of the state. Neither does it lie in the legislature. It actually lies in, in the shadows where these uh, uh, cartels and uh, uh, business uh, come military, come political interests uh, reside. Uh, so so that, that, that would be sort of like the long answer that I would give with regards to that, uh, after giving the easy answer with regards to the formal institutions themselves. Okay, so the power lies kind of outside of the official government institutions, but these like cartels and businesses, they still... They, I guess they try to influence the executive uh, presidency a lot, right? Yes, but still, uh, uh, I would be interested to hear, like, you know, the laws are still um, developed in parliament, right? So, well, I guess, you know, the president proposes laws, but he still needs the support of the, of the legislative body of, of government in order to bring them through. Now... The, obviously, the House of Assembly has like a two-thirds majority, right, of of PF. So I guess they will they will just um, you know approve um, most of or or all of what um, what the president kind of proposes. Is that is that how it goes? Yeah. So so in, in terms of the current situation, uh, that, that that that's exactly how it goes. The president does not necessarily need the support of parliament, but he needs its compliance. And, and, and he gets it uh, because the president of the country is also the president of ZANU-PF. So you, you, he carries both authority from the party and, and, and uh, the authority that is granted to him uh, by the constitution. But more to the point, uh, the Zimbabwean political system, uh, the, 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 the parliamentary system, operates on a whip system. So, so uh, members of parliament can seldom vote their conscience. They vote along party lines and they vote as dictated by the party. So anything that is proposed from ZANU-PF headquarters, anything that the president uh, brings to parliament is likely to, 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 to sail through. Uh, parliament, uh, as it is currently constituted, uh, basically exists as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a glorified rubber stamping house, really, because there's nothing that... Uh, the executive proposes that doesn't uh, that, that that doesn't pass through uh, at the end of the day. Now it hasn't always been like this. Even when ZANU PF was uh, a, a majority party in parliament in the in the nineteen nineties, you'd still be able to get animated debates. You'd still be able to get resistance. The situation even became uh, even more animated, and, uh, and parliament became more robust uh, in the aftermath of the formation of the movement for democratic change uh, post two thousand. Because at, at some point, I think it was almost a 50-50 split between the opposition and ZANU-PF. And at that time, uh, parliament um, could try 
to dictate uh, some pace, even though eventually these laws would go for presidential uh, assent and some influence could be exercised at that particular point in time. But um, but you are correct. I mean, that's the way that the formal system uh, operates, but it operates under a lot of influence from informal institutions and, um, uh, and, 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 and informal um, uh, characters who uh, are exercising power uh, from without uh, the, the, the state itself. Mm, yeah, I see. I mean, there's like two directions where we could go from here. Like one, one would be going back, right, to, to the year 2000 when, um, you know, the opposition uh, tried to establish kind of a new cons um, or a new constitution uh, together with the government. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't know the history well enough to see, you know, who who was that kind of um, forum that, you know, was working out that constitution, but that was kind of a, a window of opportunity, right, to change the balance of power. And then the and then the other side obviously would be currently also, um, I think, um, I would also be interested to see what's the role of, of the Senate, you know, because the Senate has a more um, proportional electoral system, right? So the Senate is more balanced between the parties and then also the chiefs have have a certain role. Um, I would also be interested to to hear your opinion, you know, what's can can the Senate be can the Senate balance power and um, you know what what's the role of the Senate really? So maybe we can focus on you know the current state. So maybe we we, we continue talking about the the current state of um, of the institutions, and then we might might go back to you know what happened in two thousand and and in between. Okay, so so yeah, Zimbabwe at the moment operates with the uh, I mean it, it, at the level of parliament, it's a, uh, yeah it's it's, it's a bicameral system where you've got. Uh, the 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 the, the uh, yeah the national assembly and then you've got the the, the senate and indeed uh, in a in a normal uh, setup the, the senate is supposed to to to, to play uh, some kind of a more mature oversight role um, on, on 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 bills and um, uh, debates and statutory instruments that are developed uh, by the lower house the the, the 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 national assembly that is how it is supposed to be uh, operating on, on on paper. But when we talk about um, uh, proportionality, uh, where the Senate is concerned, basically you then realize that uh, the same uh, uh, configurations that exist in the lower house uh, in terms of representation of different political voices uh, is replicated at the level of um, at, the, at the level of uh, of the Senate, because how these guys uh, get elected is based on the vote share uh, at, um, uh, that, 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 that comes out of. Uh, uh, different uh, Senate constituencies or different provinces. That that's how then the political parties get allocated uh, seats and positions into in, into the Senate. The Senate is not elected on a uh, sort of like a single member district type um, type arrangement or first past the poll um, type of arrangement. So 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 that, that the, what you have is a replication of the 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 the. the, the the, the, the balance of power that is there in the National Assembly is replicated at, at, at Senate. And, and, and again, we go back to the issue of the, of the weeping system, um, that at the end of the day, uh, whatever the party says is, is, is what goes. Uh, and it cuts across both houses of, um, of, of, of Parliament, both in the National Assembly 
and 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 and, uh, and, and at the level of Senate. So when we look at it in terms of uh, plenary sittings and discussions uh, in plenary, you'll be very you'll be hard pressed to find um, meaningful oversight being being demonstrated. But well, what I've realized um, over the last couple of years is that you know quite a bit of this oversight and effectiveness of Parliament uh, can be seen when you then visit the committees uh, of Parliament. More robust debate uh, definitely takes place there. Uh, and, and, and any progress around uh, progressive reforms or changes that um, uh, ordinary citizens might uh, want uh, sometimes are better articulated uh, when when citizens lobby uh, um, parliamentarians uh, in their committees, be it uh, the level of the Senate or of the National Assembly. But once it goes to the floor, to the plenary, then yeah, the, the, the party positions are what, um, are what prevail at the end of the day. Uh, you, you mentioned the existence of um, of, of chiefs as, as, as part of um, as part of the Senate. Uh, again, you know, under normal circumstances, you know, this is something that is uh, commendable, and it allows and it ensures that uh, you know uh, uh, people who represent uh, uh, citizens in the Bukolic uh, have a voice in Parliament. But but um, in, in Zimbabwe, part of the challenge has been that uh, over time, uh, traditional leaders. Uh, Traditional leaders have basically uh, been, been, been been co-opted uh, by, 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 the, by the state at different political moments. So even if you go to the colonial times, you realize that traditional leaders were doing the beating uh, of, of, of the colonial system in the main. Of course, you had one or two uh, resisting. Post-independence, that situation has remained the same. And post-2000, it has even worsened. Um, with the uh, uh, clear inducements uh, being used to influence chiefs' positions, so they've been allocated cars, um, uh, electrification, tractors, and stuff like that, as part of the process of uh, co-opting them uh, to the agenda of the of, of the ruling party. And then these are the same chiefs uh, that are then represented in, in, in Senate again, uh, as as in the past. You will find one or two uh, resisting, but that's the exception rather than rather than the rule. Otherwise, they do to uh, the, 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 the party line. And in some places, they are key organizers of the ruling party uh, in the places that they come from. Mm, I see. Okay, that's very interesting. And I think what, you know, the electoral law, that's really, for me, a, a key issue in in all the countries. And, and I see all over the place, you know, that the first post-to-post system is really a system that makes it much easier for political elites to preserve power, right? Because it's it's a, a worse representation, essentially, of the people, and it's a more geographic representation, but it's not like... Um, it's it's much harder for, for other parties to compete, right? Because a lot of the areas are kind of pre-decided, um, based on on the electoral law, and and also we see you know currently for example in the U.S. how the the first post to post system in single member districts um, creates this this power play by the by the two largest party and and the struggle for influence, but it doesn't allow for for new forces to emerge. And and I guess I think the the first post to post system you know for the in the in the House of Assembly, right, also preserves that power. Or what's what's your, your view on, on that? Yeah, no, I, I, you, 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 I think you're spot on, uh, Stefan. So 
Uh, the, the electoral system in Zimbabwe hasn't always been first past the post. Uh, in 1980, at the 1980 elections, we actually used a proportional representation uh, system. And um, the reason why the ruling party uh, abandoned that system was because they were afraid that they would be stopped from retaining power uh, through different political formations banding together. So, so clearly, they, they, there is a, a, an incentive uh, to, to, to that, 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 that was there to the restructuring of the electoral system as part of the process of preserving power. And, and, and the first pass, the post system, does lend itself well uh, to, to that. It, cre it creates all sorts of interesting distortions. Um, and, and like you mentioned, when you look at it in terms of the single member districts, Zanubia has got a two-thirds majority uh, right now in parliament. But when you look at overall vote share, uh, if we're using a proportional uh, representation system, then you know the distribution of seats in parliament would be fundamentally different from what it is uh, at, at, at this particular point in time. But, but those are some of the, the costs that, uh, that, 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 that come with the... Uh, first pass the first pass the post system, the winner take all approach to to, to to our politics, and 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 it, it does crowd out uh, smaller political parties, um, uh, because at the end of the day it, it does uh, push everyone towards um, to, 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 to towards the two big uh, political parties because everyone would be wanting to vote for a party that has got the possibilities and chances of actually winning. Uh, in 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 an election, so so it uh, yeah it it it's um, not it's different from the American system, but it does uh, uh, force people uh, towards the, the the two major uh, political blocks. It's very polarizing, um, very unaccommodative of different uh, political interests and views, and and and, and very very uh, bad for 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 smaller uh, sectoral or even geographic or ethnic political parties. So those virtually eventually non-existent on the political map because the, the system does not lend itself well uh, to that kind of diverse politics. Mm. And also I think it's it's much easier for, you know, outside forces, as you said, like cartels or, or businesses to influence, to lobby the members of parliament, right? If if they are like in, in single member districts, you know, the, the, the lobbies can much more directly, you know, kind of target um, you know the swing voters in in parliament, right? They can they can directly kind of attack, you know that that um, um, power, and um, you know there's also this nice or uh, how Switzerland became like more like a consensus and a more competitive democracy was exactly by uh, uh, you know um, implementing a proportional electoral system because before we had also one party controlled power like between 1848 and, and around 1920 uh, one party completely controlled Swiss politics and they were also a business um, party essentially they, they, they were really big in manufacturing and they, they pretty much controlled captured um, the, the national government, you know, in many respects, and only the introduction of proportional representation really led to that change and allowed smaller parties and also the fringe parties, both on the left and on the right, allowed these parties to compete. And I think that's actually an issue which is which is fundamental and really really important to for people to understand, right? That this electoral system preserves power and gives makes it easier for for the for the parties in power to 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 retain that power yeah 
No, you're, 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 you're definitely right. And, and uh, I think that that's one of the biggest challenges. So everyone accepts uh, the virtues of proportional representation. But, um, but, but, but those who are in power will not reform the electoral law to have proportional representation uh, at the level of the National Assembly because that is tantamount to reforming themselves out of power uh, at the end of the day. Uh, because the proportional representation lends itself well even to coalition politics. So, and and, and that's something that um, that the, 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 uh, uh, is is keen on fighting because they will they, they've seen the potential. So we've got um, the 2008 election, for instance, where the the, the numbers clearly show that if uh, opposition uh, party candidates had banded uh, together and and and, 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 and and fought as one block. Uh, ZANU-PF could have been deposed uh, from power um, uh, into in 2008. I mean, outside the fact that Mugabe actually lost to Morgan Changre, when you look at the numbers, uh, there wouldn't have been any need for a runoff election and, and, and stuff like that. So that's something that ZANU-PF is keenly aware of. And I don't think that they will introduce, uh, I mean, they've got no incentive to introduce a, a system that is uh, fairer for its citizens, but which at the end of the day can culminate their deposition from power. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's you see that everywhere, right? I mean, the politician will never give up power, <laughs> you know, by themselves. So it's it has to be like an outside force, like an opposition, or or in general the people who, um, who. who, who but it, for the people, obviously, it's much harder to have this awareness. I guess. I mean, because it's kind of a technical detail, and how the electoral system really could could change politics. Like in in fundamental ways, that's that's kind of um, I think both important to know, but um, difficult, you know, to achieve for the opposition also to 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 make that uh, mes message very clear, I guess. And you know, you see it. It was the same in Switzerland. You know, the party in power they they were completely opposed. You know, they were fighting the the proportional representation, and also in the U.S. now, for example. Um, you see, you know, the both parties in power, they they are not like, they are not willing to, I think, um, to change the electoral system because for both parties, it would mean giving up power. And that's what power, <laughs> like parties never want to give up power. Even they, that's only, it could only happen if, if the system is really at the brink of collapse. And we might, you know, You know, in the U.S., for example, we might come closer to that point where, where the parties realize, uh, you know, the system is 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 um, is pushing the democracy to a point uh, of, you know, really dangerous kind of conflicts between between the political factions, and that could only be a trigger for electoral reform. But I'm not sure. I think the Republicans, you know, they tried to retain their um, uh, kind of minority or, or their their current um, power as, as, as it is with, you know, the Senate and everything. Uh, but the Democrats are probably also reluctant to change the electoral system because it would mean giving up power for them. But let's go back to Zimbabwe now. And um, so essentially what, what we can observe is that over time, you know, the, the party in power, Mugabe, they really tried to, over time, conserve their power, right? They, they abolished some of the parliamentary systems or ele parliamentary elements in government. So they, 
They, they made the presidency stronger. They probably started ruling more by executive decrees. And at the same time, they made the electoral system less proportional, right? At least in the beginning, you said in the 1980s, there was like more proportionality. And now, um, obviously, in the House, in the House, uh, um, 210 seats out of 270 are, are single-member districts, uh, first post to post. So that's really a preservation of, of power. Yeah, so the, 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 that has been the, the, the tendency and the trend. And you mentioned, it's interesting, you, you, you mentioned um, the 270 uh, parliamentary seats with 210 uh, directly elected. The, the, the remaining ones are, are proportional representation seats uh, reserved for women, uh, but they are also based on the on the vote share that the the, the, the parties would have gotten uh, in the in, in in the other direct elections, and and that was a, a a compromise that was really forced on ZANU-PF. It's a it's an outcome of the 2013 uh, constitutional reform process, uh, and 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 as um, uh, you and uh, your listeners might be aware, uh, in 2008 we had a disputed election which. Uh, ended up uh, leading to a power sharing arrangement between the ruling party and the opposition. And and, and just in terms of uh, political moments, uh, uh, possible uh, moments for reform, uh, that that was a, a powerful one. And then and, and those are some of the things that then came uh, in, in, into the system as a result of that. Just uh, as a way of um, yeah, a compromise. Really, Zambia wouldn't have wanted that to happen, but they were forced into that situation because there was an impasse. Um, on the ground and parliament at that time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it, uh, it was was split in the middle. It was a hung parliament. Uh, no one uh, had an absolute majority in that particular parliament. So, so yeah, so you're correct. When when there is that kind of an impasse, I think the opportunities for more meaningful reforms uh, take place. But the, the, the tendency has been towards uh, consolidating uh, ZANU-PF's ability to, to to retain power and uh, the the. the they, they, they have done that uh, through uh, both uh, formal and informal channels. I think part of the Zimbabwe narrative has been how uh, violence and uh, and and and, and chicanery have been deployed in elections as part of the power retention mechanisms of uh, of, uh, of 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 PF uh, over time. You know, so I, I mentioned earlier that my my first memories are from 1987, and I noted that it was an interesting political year. That is when things really began to change. Um, in terms of the, the political institutions and the electoral system in Zimbabwe, that's when the, 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 the prime minister's position and the uh, 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 ceremonial presidency were, were, were abolished. And the power of the prime minister and the president at that time were then uh, all uh, placed into the hands of, a, of, a, of, a, of an executive president who had almost uh, imperial powers, who could then be able to exercise uh, the kind of... Um, uh, politically motivated uh, uh, changes to to, 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 to to laws in order to give more power to the executive branch of government, but more specifically uh, to the president, and make it difficult for anyone to be able to take power away from from, from PF. So this is something yeah, that that has been happening you know, over over time. Uh, serious consolidation of uh, power where the president is concerned, and unfortunately. Uh, like you said, you know, the major political parties always think that, you know, if it's winner take or if we win, then it means we're taking everything. You know, so no one really has got the, the amongst the major players, would have the incentive to try to lobby or advocate for a different uh, type of political system. Um, but those are lessons that I think the, the, the opposition in Zimbabwe has learned um, the, the hard way that, you know, 
sometimes you're better off investing in institutions that serve uh, people better rather than to base your calculations on, on a political calculus that supposes that uh, you are the one who's going to take the whole thing uh, if you win. Because NPF will make sure that you don't. Yeah, of course. And also after 2008, you know, that power sharing agreement, right? Mm. In the in the medium to long run, it was still PF who consolidated power, right? So that is true, yeah. um, MDC didn't really... Even though they had like they were almost uh, you know on the brink of of gaining power or more power through that power sharing agreement, it it didn't it didn't last right. Is that yeah. is that right? Yeah. No. It's uh, so 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 the the the, the power sharing uh, agreement uh, first gave a lot of uh, uh, power. It basically, gave senior partnership in the power sharing agreement to to, to Zanupia. That's the first thing. But also, you know, the, the, the opposition uh, ended up losing in that particular arrangement for, 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 for various reasons. Uh, the first one is that uh, they were not, uh, when they got into that power sharing agreement, they deployed their best resources into government. So they were interested in governing and in doing the work. Whereas ZANU-PF was uh, both holding on to power uh, formally in government, but also rebuilding its political base on the strength of the near defeat that they had suffered in 2008. So the opposition came out of it weaker, uh, structurally and institutionally, in terms of the the the, 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 the party as an, as an institution. But also, there a significant number of people felt betrayed uh, by, by that particular arrangement, because they were saying, no, we have had enough of ZANU-PF. Why are we getting into bed with it? We must just fight until it is totally out of the state. So, so, so that also contributed to to, to the to the opposition losing uh, some supporters. You know, the, the, the hardliners uh, amongst its supporters, or those who felt that Zanupia really needed to go for things to change, felt betrayed uh, by the uh, accommodations that were affected uh, into by, by by the power sharing agreement. But you're right, just in terms of this, a simple calculus of who had more power in that particular arrangement, definitely was Zanupia, and even when. Mugabe had to do certain things in consultation. You just do what he wanted, and then you scream bloody murder afterwards. And, but nothing happens. You know? mm. nothing, no, no, nothing happens. Yeah, right. And what do you think is the current state of 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 the opposition? You know, how much how much effort is put into you know political change, and how much effort is put into institutional change. You know, they, there's like, obviously you could question either the, you know, the institutions fundamentally like electoral laws, um, division of power, etc., or you could, you know, have like a kind of a brute force, just political struggle. So is, is how, how do you see that situation now? Yeah, so, so I, I think that the opposition is much, much more intent on it. On a, on a political uh, uh, struggle that uh, culminates in, in power changing hands uh, more than they are on an institutional reform struggle, uh, which, which 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 is a bit of a, 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 a disturbing situation because it is precisely the institutions that uh, that, that, that that deter uh, their easy access to, to 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 presenting over the state in the first place. You know the unfairness of the rules of the game uh, basically tilts. 
uh, to tilt the, 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 the playing field in Zanapia's favor. And if you want to send a better chance of attaining power, you need to focus on the rules of the game. You need to focus on the institutions. Uh, make sure that there's meaningful electoral reform that allows for fairer competition to be able to, to take place. But um, the, the opposition, I think, uh, found itself in a situation where they thought, you know what, we need to fight for political power. When we take it, then we can be able to lead the reform agenda in our, in, in our own image. So I would, I would say that, yeah, the struggle really is about uh, uh, power changing hands more than it is about uh, reforming institutions at this particular point in time where the opposition is concerned. Yeah, obviously for the parties, also hard choices to make, right? Because, yeah. you know, obviously they see the next election election coming up and um, they need to, you know, try to uh, bundle their forces to, to, to try to win the next election. And then on the other side, you have the institutional questions, which are pr probably for a party harder to grasp. You know, that's more a fundamental question. And maybe even within the party, there is not like, an agreement on you know what would be the best institutional change even though like i mean i obviously i can't speak for um you know f for the case in, in zimbabwe but in general i think you know pushing for institutional change like pushing for a more proportional electoral law would be would be one of the most fundamental um questions for an opposition that faces you know such a Uh, um, a strong party in power but power is consolidated based on rules that are not really fair for for all the parties right yeah yeah no and, and like i said it's a it's a it's 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 interesting because in zimbabwe the only time that the opposition actually made inroads uh and, and nearly won a political power in 2008 it was on the strength of changes that had taken place to the rules of the game Uh, as part of uh, what was called Constitutional Amendment Number 17 and Number 18, which uh, which led to the harmonization of elections, which also meant that ZANU-PF as a political party became stretched. It had to run a presidential election campaign, a parliamentary election campaign, and a local government election campaign at the same time, whereas in the past this used to be separate. So the entire, the full force of ZANU-PF could easily be deployed focusing just on local government or focusing just on parliament. And this time it was uh, fairly stretched because of that uh, harmonization. There were also other concessions that came because um, uh, in the run-up to the 2008 election, there they, they had been some, uh, some, some incidents around um, uh, beatings and arrests of uh, opposition leaders in 2007, uh, which had led to the intervention of SADC uh, through the South African government. Uh, to mediate, and then that mediation process yielded some reforms uh, to, to to the institutional setup, and 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 and, and, and it's not uh, given a lot of credit, but I think that that is part of what contributed uh, to to a decent performance in, in 2008. It's not certainly not the only thing. I think the economy was fighting against ZANU-PF. Morgan Shangri was a formidable candidate and stuff, but you cannot uh, take away. Uh, some of the opportunities that opened up as a result of uh, uh, a, a, a leveling that took place where the rules of the game uh, are concerned. So, so uh, part of the, the approach by the opposition is, is, is fairly uh, historical because if you look at it in perspective, you realize that it is to their advantage when, when there are reforms, uh, meaningful reforms that take place uh, to, to the institutions that govern and uh, uh, our power is attained. Uh, in Zimbabwe. But yeah, the temptation is always there to think that, you know what, we can defeat this monster despite 
uh, the unfairness that is there in, 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 in the terrain. And I don't know where that optimism uh, basically comes from because it is not uh, supported by facts uh, from, from, from history. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so we could go in so many different directions. There are so many things I, I would love to uh, discuss still. Um, you know, the, both the the consolidation of power in the in the 1980s, which is interesting, then the attempted change of the constitution in in 2000, where you know the I think the movement MDC kind of is originates from from that period, and then we have the power sharing agreement in 2008. And then we have the transfer of power, or not transfer, but you know the um, the demise of Mugabe, and then um, taking over um, power uh, of of Mnangagwa. Mnangagwa, that's it. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, so there's so many different ways we could we could um, go on from here uh, in the discussion. But I think for now we just wrap up here. Um, and and we we leave uh, yeah some of the topics for for future discussions. I would I would very much like to have you uh, on the on the podcast again because I think Zimbabwe also you know uh, includes so many interesting questions re with regard to rules of the game and constitutional constitutional development. So um, and and your insights are, are are really you know interesting. I think for a broader audience and. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm. I really appreciate having you on the on the podcast, and um, yeah, thanks a lot, McDonald, for sharing for sharing all these thoughts. No, th th thanks a lot for for inviting me, Stefan. Uh, yeah, no, I mean we can talk about Zimbabwe for days, um, and, and, and like you said, there yeah, there are interesting threads that we can be able to to pick up and just uh, dig a bit deeper on. But so I'm looking forward to the next time that you invite. Hopefully there will be a next time. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks a lot, McDonald. All right. Thanks a lot, Steph. Bye. Bye.